You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. As my brother would say, hello. Oh, how you doing? I realized that Johnny, anyway. Yeah. He doesn't really have like a signature greeting. It's just like, that's hello. Kind of okay. like that. It's kind of got yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, little known fact. I don't know if that's true or not. Why did I lead with that? <laughs> Maybe it's um, much known. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> what are you talking about, Ethan? <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> no, Do I um, need to put up a confessional booth? <laughs> Much earlier this year, he got me playing Warzone with some of our colleagues, actually, with Pastor Lucas Jarrett. And, of course, Johnny and myself and a number of others, which may or may not be known to listeners. I don't know. I'm not going to go through a list here. (laughs) But I'm not remarkable. I'm not terribly good at this. I've never played a first person shooter in my life until this game. But it's, you know, it's for it's genuinely very much kind of for the friends component of this. Yeah. And. He, I'm, I'm telling this entire story just to kind of confirm he does not have a signature. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will say this, I will say this, if he ever does listen to this, <laughs> sometimes like when I, when you, when you join the lobby, essentially, when you, when your voice chat links up, I don't know how to say yeah. this if you don't do it, but um, <laughs> yes. you, you get it. It'll be like this kind of surprising, like, well, hello there. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Like, well, well. <laughs> well, well, well. Uh, yeah. General Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Star yeah. Wars reference for there's, you. Um, there's that kind of energy to it. Words may yeah. vary. But yeah. <laughs> Words. <laughs> hey, you just throw me back to like late night infomercials where they're like, order the thing for da 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 Prices may vary. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is. Do they still do infomercials? Is that still a thing? Like late I mean, night, you TV know? TV technically exists. <laughs> TV technically exists. So those exists. commercials exist, but. I'm really getting us off track now, but isn't it really quite something that we went from. Cable-dominated TV viewing, mm. you know, where you have, you pay for a cable package, it includes yeah. all these channels, and it's however much money. Probably a lot. And then Netflix came yeah. along with online streaming, and it's like, oh, I don't need cable anymore. I'm just going to cancel that and pay, you know, back in the day, seven ninety nine a month for yeah. streaming. And you had so much, so many TV shows, so many movies. And then other people, of course, saw the proverbial train leaving the station <laughs> And other stations started adding their own little streaming services until yeah. now it is at the point where basically we are we are essentially back to choose your own cable package network. Like, yeah. like oh, you want these shows? Well, you need that channel. So you need to... There's a lot more control. Yeah, there, But it's still like we're we're back right to where we started, just different. Yeah, because I was, I was actually about to say like, oh, at least we get to pick. But here's the thing, though. It's like if I, if I want to be a Netflix purist... But I also want to watch the much acclaimed series Andor, which everyone should definitely see for themselves. I actually, I have to buy a whole new service. I can't say, can I buy that show? Yeah. Can I just rent streaming service? You have, you have to do the whole package just like it always has been. But um, something very interesting. We did not mean to go here. It was not in the notes. (laughs) It was. (laughs) But um, I'd recently seen some streaming charts that Netflix, for like basically the first time, may have been surpassed by Prime. But the thing is, you can't strictly determine prime members versus strictly Those who. video users. Mm. It's like, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting, but they're clearly doing well, I guess. Yeah. But, okay, here's the other thing, though. People, and this happened, like, this year, primarily, are, like, really hard on Netflix. Which, oh, really? I'm a huge Netflix apologist. I, I, I miss that. I think yeah. it's great. <laughs> I still think they do great <laughs> things, everybody. So, huh. I don't know what the deal is, but, like, like oh, they're, they're struggling. People are, you know, like, canceling. I, I guess it's maybe because, maybe because they, um kind of put the kibosh on account sharing 
but oh. like I'm so sorry that you haven't, <laughs> <That's it. laughs> haven't been paying with your own money, but it's oh. wor- I think it's worth it. I don't know. You yeah. don't have to do it every month. I think the other part is the streaming wars are over. So it's like, yeah, like if Netflix doesn't have content you want anymore. Yeah, like, oh, well, I'm going to drop it and I'm going to yeah. pick up something else. Exactly. You know, just like people are like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. So like, I don't right. care about the Disney stuff. So I'll drop Disney Plus or whatever, you know? Yeah. I have no interest in, actually, I've almost subscribed to Peacock. I actually have Just right because of Parks and Rec. Yeah. So. I actually, I do those intermittently. So I'll go really long stretches without HBO Max, but that, that'll just, it'll just be stocking up all these movies I want to see all at once. I'm like, ah, that's there too, huh? Yeah. And so just one month, I'll, I'll get it. And, the time has and, come. Yeah. Here we are. Mm. We're Disney Plus users because sure. the girls love the Disney classics, especially. Yeah. It is a concept for me, and they know why. It's because they make those shows. Yep. They're always going to have my money. Yep. That's mm. it. So, anyway, here wow. we are. What a ride. Streaming. The streaming wars. <laughs> here we are. They're over now. Choose your side. <laughs> well, anyway, on a completely unrelated note. <laughs> Remarkably so. We can go back to a different kind of war. <laughs> <laughs> a spiritual one. Wow. Because as a, a sort of segue into today's episode topic, mm. I would like to begin with a little anecdote from church history, okay. as I'm fond okay. to do. Okay. I'm wanted to do mm. this. But the reformer, great reformer, John Calvin, was a longtime pastor in Geneva, Switzerland. That's where he was he was at. It was mm. kind of his HQ. Must you know? be nice. I'd like to go. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, basically anywhere in, well, not anywhere in Europe right now, but you know uh, what I mean. Uh, <laughs> there there uh, are certain uh, portions I don't want to be in right now because of certain armed conflicts. Yeah, <laughs> I do not want to, yeah. you know, it's no fun. Anyway, besides the point. So he's based out of Geneva. And long story short, at some point in the course of the Protestant Reformation, as was wont to happen, he was exiled. And, you know, he wandered about, et cetera, and was gone for, I think, this particular exile lasted three years. (laughs) That's not small. No, no, not small. So when he left Geneva and left his church, he was in the Book of Acts. He was in a series on the Book of Acts. And he left, like, they kind of was just like, pick up your stuff and go. Like, you're not, you know, no time to wrap things up. Just get out of here. So he did that. And then three years later... Things changed. Sure. And they were like, please come back. <laughs> you know, it's happened. So he's like, okay, I will. And he got up into the pulpit his first Sunday back. And I, you know, people were expecting him to talk probably about, you know, exile and perhaps a little bit of a, I told you so, yeah. you know, something like that, all this stuff. Instead, what does Calvin do? He opens his Bible to the exact verse he left off and, and acts and just. Just rolls right back into it, wow. like as if nothing had happened. It's kind of a power move. Yeah, really. big, big power move. Wow. Like, <laughs> and I say that to say, many eons ago, we did an episode on the atonement, <laughs> penal substitutionary <laughs> atonement to be precise. <laughs> and oh. I'm just going to pick up right where we left off yeah. without any, uh, no, I, I, we, we will give some intermittent explanation. But uh, that was my uh, only slightly, lightly connected oh, anecdote to introduce this topic, which I'm actually now off on another rabbit trail to... No, you know what? I'm not going to go off down that rabbit trail. I'm not going to do that. I was about to I was about to delve into 17th century British empiricist philosophy mm. and a the topic we all know well. mind-body connection. And uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. If, you, if that, for some reason, piqued your interest, you can look that up yourself. <laughs> because, yeah. Anyway, so, a while back... I think it was actually the last episode I, one of the last episodes we recorded before I went on sabbatical. Really? I think. 
I think that's correct. If you do search up uh, Atonement wherever you listen to our podcast, you should be able to find, I think you'll be on the right trail. So if you want to catch up, there's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I didn't realize it was so recent. Yeah, it was. I think that's right. I could be wrong. It was somewhere in that time frame. October 24th. October 24th. Hey, yeah. substitutionary so, yeah. atonement theory. There we go. Yeah, see? It's right there. So we talked about atonement there, and you can go back and listen to that episode, catch up if you need to. But in short, what we were trying to help communicate was the importance of the fact that when Christ died on the cross, he was doing it as a substitute for us, that he was he bore God's wrath in our place right? so that he might give us his perfect righteousness mm-hmm. so that we might be restored to God. That's the really short sentence version of it, but a lot more to it. Like I said, you can go back and listen to that episode if you want. But we alluded to the fact that there are other atonement theories and that they are in their own ways legitimate. Mm-hmm. And part of my frustration with when you start getting into heated discussions about atonement theory is that people will talk about them as if they are completely mutually exclusive. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, you hold to penal substitution or atonement? Well, that's stupid, and Christus Victor is right, or recapitulation is right, and if you and as if they they can't go together. That's interesting because um, these are all terms I might not know well, but I have I have actually heard them before. Yes. they're not they're not foreign. But when you set up different theories of atonement, I definitely immediately think of exclusivity. Okay, yeah, that's very. I mean, that's just like the gut reaction. Like, oh, this must be an alternative and right. opposite view. Yes, yes, and people continue to talk about it that way. But it's what's <laughs> wonderful, and I don't say it's like because I, I think you can be elitist with this if you're not careful. Because our ultimate authority is scripture. It's infallible. It's inerrant. That's what we have to go with. So really, what people say apart from that is inconsequential. Like, as long, if if it submits to scripture and it's faithful to it, it matters. But if it doesn't, like, okay, well, they're not the final authority. But that said, <laughs> you have a lot of discussion when you read theologians and pastors in church history where they are holding a lot of these ideas together simultaneously, mm. which is what scripture does. Yeah. <laughs> scripture does not present one singular model of atonement. Mm. It presents a kaleidoscope of what Christ came to do. That's an interesting way to put it, too. So, like today, for example, we're going to discuss the Christus Victor angle of atonement. And I'm actually, I'm going to call it the angle, not even the model, because I feel like that gives you the idea of, oh, we have these different models and you have to subscribe to one. No, Christus Victor Mm. is part of the atonement, is what I would argue. And I think the church would argue. And I think scripture makes that point. (laughs) Um, And in case you're wondering, what is Christus Victor? What does that mean? I actually, you could probably deduce it from what it says. You might, yeah. uh, Christ the victor, Christ the conqueror. There's some similarities yeah. there. Yeah. One definition that puts it very succinctly is like this. The work of Christ is a victory over the powers which hold mankind in bondage, namely sin, death, and the devil. So like, that's part of what his death accomplishes, his victory over those powers. Makes sense. Which is, if you think about it, that's almost implicitly entailed in, even in penal substitution, right? Because, I was thinking that. <laughs> right. He's like, oh, well, what is part of God pouring out his wrath on on Jesus and him bearing that on our account, well, it defangs the devil. Like, mm-hmm. there's no more... And I'm going to come back to C.S. Lewis in a minute on this, because right. this, is a, this is a point that is often brought up and I think is completely misconstrued and wrong. So, we'll come back to that. <laughs> okay. But part of what Jesus did come to do expressly is to destroy the works of the devil. Mm-hmm. And you get that straight out of Scripture. In fact, what I just said is basically a quotation of 1 John 3, 8, which says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Right, so he came expressly to, and in Jesus' own words, bind the strong man to <laughs> make it impossible for him to hold sway 
over us. You also have another great example of this in Hebrews 2, 14 through 16, which says, Since therefore the children, that is us, since we share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Hmm. So, in other words, when Jesus died on the cross, and I saw this artistically represented somewhere once, and I thought it was amazing, and it's an image that often sticks in my head, but that that prophecy in Genesis 3.15, where God says, the serpent will strike your heel, and he will strike your head. Mm -hmm. Someone artistically represented Christ on the cross, but the nail that went through his feet had a serpent there was a serpent attached to his heel, oh, wow. and the nail went through, of course, yeah. you know, it went through his heel, yeah. it went through the serpent's head. And I thought that was a very powerful huh. depiction of what happened on the cross when Christ died. Because in submitting himself to the power of death, he actually destroyed it. Mm. He kind of got under it, so to speak, and then destroyed it from the inside out. And C.S. Lewis, so here to come back to C.S. Lewis, right? There are a lot of people who say things like, okay, other theories and models of the atonement are ridiculous, and C.S. Lewis, whom everyone loves, he didn't even believe in penal substitutionary atonement. So that shows you how, you know, off your rocker are if you believe that. Okay. Okay, and here's the most commonly cited example to prove that. Oh, okay. And it's a very interesting one. It's the Chronicles of Narnia. Well, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. That's right? a terribly bad faith argument. It is, it is. But it, I can use... The oh, example that people use okay. there to actually prove the opposite. Yeah. Well, not the opposite, yeah. but to say, like, no, that's not the whole picture, okay? So what happens is, if you remember the story, Edmund betrays Aslan and his siblings in Narnia. Right. Goes to the White Witch mm -hmm. to hand them over. And when the White Witch eventually appears before Aslan with Edmund, she says, the deep magic of the world demands that if someone commits treason against the emperor across the sea, against god basically mm -hmm. and violates the deep magic if there's treason there must be blood or the world will perish in fire and water mm. and so of course then you know aslan offers himself as a substitute um <laughs> to shed his blood so that edmund doesn't have to so that this deep magic is satisfied right and people link that and say look see he did that to destroy the works of the white witch which he did sure right okay part of the problem there is though again in that story what's the deeper reason he's doing it to satisfy the deep magic, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. So even there, Lewis is not advocating, again, for, I mean, one, it's a novel. It's a children's story. And he is trying to communicate some truth, but that's not, and he said as much, I'm pretty sure. He's like, don't go to my novels for my explicit theological views. Right. He was a self-oppressed. He said, I'm not a trained theologian. His training was in medieval literature and philosophy, so that's beside the point. <laughs> um, but even there in that story, there is a substitutionary aspect of it. Yeah, and it I has to do... With a penalty, even, exactly. against the deep magic, which is, you know, that's clearly a reference to penal and, substitution. I mean, in fact, moment. of course, I have the advantage of sitting here in this conversation, but frankly, that <laughs> and that actually seems like the more obvious thing yes. to conclude. Right, yes, but people get so hung up on, you know, wanting to see only something else that you miss. Like, oh, yeah, of course, he's there is an element of Christus Victor there, just like there is in Scripture, just like there is in church history, but they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And so, obviously, Scripture teaches this, and... What I want to draw out, because I think it's, that's not like a deep thing. That's not like this like huge, you could make it a deep discussion where you're like really getting to the, the ins and outs of it. But what I wanted to highlight and what is very interesting to me about this, there I am with that qualifier again. I need to stop using that. But if you think about another passage like Colossians 2, 
13 through 15, where Paul writes that God set aside the record of our debt, mm-hmm. nailing it to the cross with Christ, right? Which there's, again, the, the wrath and the substitutionary aspect. But then he links it and he says, by doing this, something to that effect, I'm, see, I should just have the scripture with me, but I'm paraphrasing it. By doing this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, triumphing over them in Christ. And thinking about that, right? Okay. What is it that gives Satan his power over people? Well, it's their sin, right? Mm -hmm. Satan literally means accuser. So he's the accuser of the church, the accuser of the the brethren, as the old KJV has it. And what gives him his power is to say, oh, look, you've violated the law. You've turned against the deep magic, so to speak. (laughs) And that demands blood, which it does. Mm -hmm. And that gives him his power. You know, he can kind of blackmail the universe, so to speak. So when Christ dies and sets aside the record of debt, absorbs God's wrath, Satan loses that power. And what that means is we need to take scripture seriously when it says they have no power over us anymore. Hmm. The demonic forces, Satan, he has no authority over you. Like, it's not even a matter of having like, oh, I need to, which again, we also need to remember, not even Michael presumed to rebuke Satan. That, <laughs> he said the Lord rebuke you. I think of that frequently. Um, and I say, I bring all that up because someone here listening might be thinking, well, Josiah, but what about that verse in First Peter that says you need to be aware because the devil is prowling around like a lion seeking someone to devour? That's true. Yeah, it's like, that's not untrue. There's not yeah, a contradiction there. Yeah, he is. There. But what I think that verse, taken by itself out of context, misses in light of the all the other references that show up in Scripture over and over and over again that emphasize Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, he bound the strong man, he defeated the powers, all this stuff. What that verse misses is that now Satan only has power over us insofar as we believe his lies. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, yeah, it doesn't mean we're not susceptible. Right. It doesn't mean we we can't be weak. <laughs> right. Guess. Yeah. Um, that said, the accusation, the question has already been answered. It's yes. We have a proclivity to forget that. Yeah. And so we give him ground and we believe the accusations. We believe the lies. Yeah. And even when... Paul says something like, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And people say, look, that means Satan still has power. He's he's the authority. He's the little G God. Again, that's only true because they believe the lie. Like, that's where the power is. So I think there's this proclivity in Christians who it's like, it's this weird thinking where we think we're being humble. Like when we're trying to say like, oh yeah, like again, it's this flip on, don't just go out there rebuking Satan. You don't have that authority. Like you say, the Lord rebuke you. Mm -hmm. But again, God said he defeated him. Like, it's not a matter of, okay, yeah, one day he's going to remove him from the scene once and for all so that he can't just spout lies that can then be believed so that we can be subject to slavery again. But it was right there in Hebrews. We are not subject to slavery to fear anymore. It's not like you have to be scared of him. Christ conquered. I was, you know, reading Revelation recently. What does Jesus say? One of the first things out of his mouth in the book of Revelation, I have the keys to death and hell. Mm. (laughs) Not Satan. Satan doesn't have those keys anymore. Jesus does. And so when I think of this particular aspect of the atonement, I'm reminded of a probably legendary apocryphal story that is typically linked to Martin Luther, Mm. where he was asleep one night and he heard this ruckus in his house and he went out of his bedroom and he saw what appeared to him to be the form of Satan in his house. And he looked at him and said, oh, it's just you and went back to sleep. (laughs) You know? And I think that's, that is, it's legendary. It's not scripture. And there is a certain cavalierness you might take away from that that you ought not. (laughs) 
(laughs) But at the same time, like, if you are in Christ by faith, Mm. he's conquered. You don't have to fear. You know, it's not like the demons are going to get you on Halloween (laughs) if you accidentally eat a piece of candy or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's conquered. Again, this comes back to, and I'm getting tangential again. We didn't really even talk. It's like we didn't spend so much time talking about this atonement theory so much as the implications of it. But I think that's fine. Um, Maybe we can talk about those later. But Christ said before he ascended on high, all authority has been given to me. It's, it's all there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he is reigning and he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Right. So <laughs> let's live like that's true. You know what I mean? Like mm. stop living in abject fear that, you know, Satan is going to triumph. Okay. So like maybe our culture believes his lies right now. And I'll quote Chesterton. Maybe there's a sense in which if that happened long enough, the church might even die. Well, as Chesterton says, The church has died many times, but it has always come back to life because it knew one who had escaped the grave before. Mm. So I say all that to say some people hear that as like be indifferent, like just, you know, be careful, like, oh, like, okay, like Christ is reigning, so don't do anything. What I'm saying is no, like, no, keep pushing back the forces of darkness, keep preaching the gospel and don't fear the enemy. Like, don't let what's happening bring you to despair. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Oh, that's interesting. Don't let it bring you to despair. Yeah, because I'm thinking, and I don't infrequently kind of experience some sort of tension of, let me put it this way, there are parts of that that I, that I find very easy to be like unbothered, to be unfussed by sure. things. I'm like, cool, yeah. fine. Not, not a big deal to me. I think it requires an immense amount of energy to be constantly freaking out. Yeah. I was like, well, maybe that's, you know, not the most exciting news. Um, <laughs> But but like you said, they, like at the same time, that doesn't mean a baptized apathy, right? right? Yeah, it's like, a great term. I like that. I'm stealing that <laughs> baptized apathy. And like, and I think we see that even in scripture, Jesus yeah. doesn't espouse that. It's yeah. like, and ironically, a callback to the very beginning of this episode. It's not like there aren't you know like innocent people dying under oppressive regimes, right? Like that is yeah horrific and it is. criminal and and like deeply yeah. evil, yeah. And it doesn't mean that's not happening. It doesn't mean right. you turn a blind eye to that or or say like death doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> it very much does. Yeah. There's a unique a unique balance in yeah. in knowing how to navigate that, but mm-hmm. like appropriately with with the right frame of mind. Yeah. Like knowing mm-hmm. that Christ does have the ultimate power and you know yeah. what what is deserving of fear, if you want to use that term. Yeah. Is right. Christ himself. Not <laughs> Yes. Yes, exactly. You know, Let him not, be your fear. Not like the you know, earthly and spiritual efforts of evil as we know it. Right, exactly. And that brings to mind a final little thing on this. Again, it's tangential, but I think it's probably a good note to end on is that because Christ is the victor, that means that we can go out and face evil and sin and mm-hmm. Satan and death and those powers and not despair, but do it with energy yeah. and say like, oh, like, no, like we're going to work. And, you know, like Nehemiah, like I'm doing a great work and I'm not going to come down because you're over here saying, well, Gashmu says you guys <laughs> intend to rebel. Like, uh, he can say that it's not true. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna keep doing the work. We're gonna keep building, and we're gonna keep fighting. But I think that also when you remember Christ is the victor, there is a true sense in which. So, like when you see those things happening, Ephesians four says, "Be angry and do not sin." Mm-hmm. So, like there is, and you know, Christ, like you read in the Gospel of Mark when he's coming to destroy the works of the devil, you have one of the first miracles in Mark is the man with the withered hand in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and they're like, 
you can't do that. And he says, well, is it lawful to heal or kill on the Sabbath? And no one answers because they know they're going to, however they answer, they're, they've revealed that they're hard-hearted and wicked. And it says he looks around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, which is an interesting thing to picture. Jesus, like, looking so angry, Mark recorded it. Yeah. You know, or like Peter wrote him as like, oh, you could see the anger in yeah. Christ's face. But to that point, you'll see things that will anger you. And I heard someone put it like this, that that kind of anger is like manna. It goes bad overnight. So Whoa. don't hold on to it. Like, yes, like if you see things that like, oh, yeah, that that's the kind of thing that Christ would be angry about. Yeah. Then, you know, don't despair, but move and don't keep it overnight because it's mm. like manna. And I'm like, that is stuck with me. I'm like, that's true. That's good. I think that's good. And you can do that because Christ is the victor. And that's how, you know, even if we go down in certain defeats, so to speak, like when Augustine wrote the city of God and Rome was in flames and had been sacked, he's like, well, the city of God dwells eternal and cannot be touched by Outrek and the Visigoths. So, Christus Victor. There you have it. Thanks, as always, for listening. <laughs> uh, if you have any questions on this or any other topic, feel free to email us, podcast at horizonschurch.net, or you can interact with us on social media. And if you liked this and you want to leave us an honest five-star review on that Apple podcast, we'd appreciate it. You could show Christ as the victor there <laughs> in podcasts. But thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll catch you next time.